Right on. So we're going to stay in this series through the end of October. We're just going to spend the next, I believe it's six weeks, uh, just hanging out in this idea. If you're not ready, you're perfect. And uh, what's interesting is when we started this church, some of the first questions actually kind of fell in this category. And, um, and I'm not like throwing stones at anybody, but a lot of the interest was like, where did you go to seminary? Who said you could plant this church? What makes you think that you could? All of these ways of like, you know, are you perfect? Did you get everything together? You know, are you, quali- are you qualified? Nobody's qualified. <laughs> Amen. Uh, not you, not me, not any of us. None of us are qualified. None of us got it all together. None of us are perfect. That's why the scripture says, hey, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory. If you're not ready, you're perfect. And and so we're going to take a look in scripture. We're going to take a look over the next few weeks about what it means to move from this idea of like, well, you know, society says and culture says I got to have this and I got to have this. And if we spend our whole lives waiting to be ready, you're going to miss your whole life. Come on, people. Amen. Like, come with me. I need you this morning. Amen. Here's the deal. Like, if we just spend this whole life, this whole life of like, I would someday, when I get to that, someday, someday, you're going to miss all of it. If you wait for yourself to get all your ducks in a row, get it up, it's just not biblical. It's just not biblical. Jesus just walked through out the New Testament with this person who wasn't ready and this person who wasn't ready and this person who was definitely not ready. Peter, like one of the best uh, alongside him, that guy, I won't get into it a ton, but he's a cusser and a crazy guy and all this kind of stuff, like just our, our criteria that we base ourselves on, like, can God use me? Can God, yeah, absolutely he can use you and he wants to and he emptied heaven so that he could use you and bless you and make a difference through you. Amen. So I want to take a look, and this is going to be a little bit interesting sermon. I told a couple of guys, I think Brad and Scott in the hallway, I said, this is going to be a little bit different than how I write a sermon. I just kind of collected some thoughts and put it all in. And, uh, and so it, I don't know how it's going to go, I guess is what I'm saying, but I'm really excited about it. I, it I'm more excited about it than you are. I can tell you that so far. <laughs> and, uh, and so if we can meet somewhere in the middle, I think we're going to have a good what's left of our 20 minutes. Uh, this morning. And so just build your expe- expectation this morning. Be ready to know that like God wants to say something to you today that it's not just going to set you free because that sounds churchy, but I believe it's going to give you momentum. Like like you're a car going down a hill and God's going like, to just give you a push. You're going to get some more leaving here today because I just know it. I know it. That's what, <clears throat> excuse me, it's what this word has done for me as I've gathered these thoughts. And so I would say it like this. I actually do this to my staff all the time. We'll sit down to have staff meeting or have a meeting, and I'll just start like unloading side notes that I've thought about. So I'm supposed to have this meeting about this, and I sit down and I just say, you know what, blah, 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 and they're all just like, okay, so about this card, you know, and I'm kind of going to do that to you right now. I just got these thoughts I've had on the side, and I guess what I want you to do with it today is take these thoughts, take these ideas, and just go find out about them for yourself. Essentially, I'm saying like, hey, you know, here's some things. Just go investigate this. Go spend some time on this. Go see what this means for you. Just test it out. Work it. See what it says to you. See what it means to you. And I hope it ends up good. And if it doesn't, I got five more weeks in October to fix it. Amen. (laughs) So Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, a little bit of reading, and then we're going to get into some fun stuff. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, I encourage you to take notes, be be somebody, whether it's on a tablet or a phone or something like that, bring your notes, read your notes later, uh, get into that, because I don't feel like 
what you hear uh, is final. It's not like, hey, I, I saw that sermon. Like you would say you saw a movie. Like, oh, I saw that movie. Oh, I heard that sermon, and then it was over. Like, I believe we, we live the sermon. I believe it goes with us. I believe it's a, like you get it so that you can use it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So Exodus 3.1 says, Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro. Of course it was Jethro, right? <laughs> like he's got a flock, and of course his name is Jethro. His father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw through the bush, saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Uh, God shows you strange things for a reason. You look into the community and you go, well, that's not, that's not right. That's kind of strange. We need to pay attention to those strange things. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see the strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. He said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Holy ground. Righteous ground. The place that you are. So he's doing a job for Jethro shepherding the dirt, the wilderness. He's doing a thing. And God appears to him and says, hey, did you know where you are is holy? Let me say it again. He's in a dirty place, a broken place, doing a thing. And God says, hey, the place that you are, did you know you're in a holy place? How many of us are in a dirty place, a broken down place. You feel like all you're doing is a thing for Jethro and it's the wilderness and it's dry and you're cussing it and you're irritated with it and you're frustrated with it. But could it be that God might show up in that thing that you're in and say, hey, did you know you're actually in a holy place? I've put you in that and I've equipped you in that because something holy and a work from me can be done in this thing. Okay, we'll keep going. So point number one, is your wilderness can be a holy place. Your wilderness can be a holy place. The dried up, the frustrated, the annoying, the stuck, the, the, uh, there's no greenery, there's, it's the wilderness, there's no life, you're leading these things and it's frustrating, can be a holy place. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> We're excited about that. The scripture says that Jesus was tested in the wilderness, but in the same place, it also says he was empowered in the wilderness. So you get in these wilderness places and you don't like it and you're not comfortable in it and it tests you and it frustrates you. But in that same very place, it empowers you. And we get in a wilderness and we say, certainly this can't be holy. Certainly this can't be God. Certainly this test is not of God. It's the devil. And we got to get out of this place. Get me from here. There's nothing in here. I need to be out of here. But it's actually a thing that can be holy because in it, with our life sacrificed to God, it can be a thing that empowers you. Wildernesses. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm in a wilderness. I'm not ready. Oh, you're, it's, I'm not, it's perfect. It's perfect. 
You're in a place where you're not all put together and it's a wilderness and I don't see it, but God can make that thing holy. He can use it. Amen. So Jesus was tested and empowered in his wilderness. Your wilderness can be a holy place. Point number two, some will, and these are just, these are just how I talk. So if that doesn't sound right to you, um, I don't care. I told you, I was just collecting thoughts. Some wilderness seasons you aren't meant to run from. Point number two, some wilderness seasons you aren't meant to run from. There's some wildernesses, I just want to make this clear, that you've made bad choices and you've done some things that you put yourself in wildernesses that you shouldn't be in because it's a result of the sin you've allowed in your life. You need to run from those seasons. The scripture is repent, turn from, get out of there. But there are some wilderness seasons that you aren't meant to run from. That's why he said, take off your shoes and stay here. You're on holy. Take off your shoes. I don't need you running from this. There's this burning bush. I've got this thing I want to do in you. I need you to stick around a little bit. I need you to stay in this and see me through this holy moment, this holy thing. I need you to go through the test so that you can be empowered And so take off your shoes and stick around for a minute. I love this saying. I think it's Stephen Furtick who says, uh, grass is greener. The grass is greener where you water it. We all think it's so spiritual to move on to the next calling, the next thing. Amen. Amen. So (coughs) you hit this wilderness. You hit this season. You hit this thing. And God's like, hey, take off your shoes and stay in this holy thing and see this through. And we say, well, God has called me onto the next thing. And you get your, and you actually do the opposite. We need to use some discernment. God, do you want me to see this through? The grass gets greener where you water it. What are you putting into it? That's really what it all comes down to. What are you putting into it to make it grow and to make it thrive? So some wilderness seasons you aren't meant to run from. Hey, take your shoes off. I'm going to need you to stay put for a minute. I'm going to need you to see this season through. Point number three, and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time. His wilderness was a servant place. His wilderness was a servant place. Now, what we know about Moses, and we can all identify with this, and this is kind of where I want you to marinate and think about today, is... Servant place is where he ends up at this season of his life. But you got to remember, Moses started out, it had flash and flare. I mean, it was like platform call of God. It was, it was the fun being used by God. It was uh, Pharaoh was trying to wipe out all of the male born. And you remember Moses gets put in the basket and he gets sent down the river. And that's inspiring that uh, God used them and saved them and protected them. And God spoke to uh, those caretakers and he made it all the way. And so that part of it, that season of your life, it's going good. You're floating down the river, protected by God. It's a good thing. But all of a sudden he finds himself now after murdering somebody, after having a bad season in his life, he finds himself in a wilderness working for his father-in-law and all of the flash, all of the fun is off of it. And many of us have that same thing too. We feel so used by God when it's fun and his hand is on our life and there's flash and he's speaking to you and he's leading you down the river of life and protecting you. But then he puts you in a servant place and we say, this can't be God. 
this and you're frustrated and you're irritated in your wilderness, but both are equally anointed. Both are equally anointed and positioned and equipped by God. <laughs> Amen. And so I can just imagine him being like, man, my life, it started off so like destined and protected and, and, and you just feel like such a high season because God is, and now I find myself here in this wilderness serving as a shepherd to my father-in-law. Truly God isn't with me, but that's not what scripture talks about. And as we go on here, we're going to look at it. And so he's being this shepherd, but the truth is most of your ministry comes from servant places. So my wife and I, we got to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. <laughs> we went to Disney, and it was glorious, and Mickey Mouse, and everybody it was so great. And um, I was really excited about this week. So we had Disney, came home extremely excited about this week. Uh, we had some new meeting structures we put in place. We had uh, all of these, like it was like fall, we're getting back in it, like there's these new. And so I was really like excited about the structure side of ministry, just all these things that we we're going to do. And man, I'm telling you, we were in Atlanta. We weren't even home to Michigan. And you're turning your phone back on on the plane and stuff's going wrong and people problems and just, and then it followed on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and just all this stuff is happening. And I found myself discouraged that ministry wasn't going good. I'm over here upset, like, oh, and we had this structure we wanted to execute and this plan that we wanted to do and this platform that we wanted to work off of and this thing that we wanted to do. And I just remember being so upset that all of this other stuff got in the way. But do you know what got in the way? Ministry. Isn't that funny? Ministry got in the way. I'm over here saying like, oh, I wanted to do like this, and I wanted to minister like this, and I wanted to, this. and then what actually happened is ministry, and I'm all upset, favor of God is not on our lives, the church is falling apart. <laughs> ministry was happening. <laughs> do you know that we all do that all the time? We all do that all the time. We say, oh, God's called me this way, and we only want to see it happen this way, and we only think it's got to be like this, and when it doesn't happen like this, we go, oh, Amen? <laughs> and so for us, what we need to understand is we as people, we like the structure place. So his wilderness was a servant place, a life laid down, serving others, giving themselves to the betterment of somebody else, a servant place. We like the structure place in God. God's called me and assigned me and gifted me to this. And then we, we say what our gift is. He's called me to this. He's assigned me to this. Servant place is where we'll land. So we like structure place, platform place, title place. And we put these big words on it like uh, it's our gifting, our calling. Uh, we get real strategic and we say it's our assignment. If I were to ask you what my assignment is, most of you would say I'm the preacher. I'm assigned to preach. I'm called to preach. That's what he does. He gives a sermon. He preaches. Preaching is the least of what I'm called to do on this earth. The worship leader's least thing that a worship leader is called to do is sing songs. The prayer person's 
least thing that they're assigned and called to do is pray in a ministry. The least thing, the kids ministry, the parking lot person, all of these titles and positions and assignments and gifting. Do you know what you're assigned to do? Serve. Serve. Minister to people. Reach people. I'm over here saying, oh, you know, it needed to be like this and it needed to be like this. And I, and I just overlooked ministry was happening. I was being used by God to meet needs of people. I just wanted it to be this way and in this structure and this. Amen. Yeah. We, so we love to say, well, the structure's not there. How does this have to do with our series? If you're not ready, you're perfect. Well, we don't have the structure. I don't have the thing. I don't have the place. Can you help people? You're perfect. Can you help people? Can you listen to somebody? Can you pray for somebody? Oh, good. Then you're good. You're ready. You're perfect. Get on the team. Let's go do this. Amen? We get so caught up in like what it should look like in our assignment and our role and our gift and our call. Please, let's just go help people. Amen? Your gifting and your calling and your assignment is not to preach, lead worship, be, be faithful in church. We say this. Oh, I'm just, I'm a Christ follower. I'm faithful in church. I'm living out God's call in my life. I'm, a, I'm an active church attender. No, <laughs> you're called to serve people, love people. Amen. Your assignment's not to go to church and, and raise a great family. And, 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 and all that stuff is important and true, yes. But if we do all of those things without being a servant to others, then what a waste. Scripture actually says we're like a clanging cymbal. If we have no love, amen. We're just shouting words and spewing things. Amen? That's why Jesus said this. I didn't come, Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I didn't come to tell you about my assignment and my gifting and my anointing and my structure and all my place and all of my... He said, I came to serve. Like, it's all about reaching and loving people. You don't got to get it all put together and all put in place if you're not ready, it's fine. You're perfect. Let's go serve and love some people. Amen? That's, you've heard me say this before. The greatest, they're having this conversation. So Jesus, tell us who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. Tell us who's the greatest. I was like, well, that, that one's easy. <laughs> Those who serve. Those who serve. Those who have a heart to lay down their life for somebody else. To take the time and talk on the phone. To take the time and pray for somebody. To take the time and give a little of their resources. To take the time to serve the church and volunteer at the school. All, all of the things that we do. It's the servant place that makes you great in the kingdom of God. Not because we put together this great structure and we got all this stuff put together and we're perfect and we got a bow on it. No, it's, it's those that have the heart to serve. Amen? I thought about it like this. We struggle with this idea. The church doesn't exist to serve your call. Your call exists to serve the church. So many people come into a place or they're trying to find a church and they come in and they go, well, I just, you know, what can this church do for my thing? I'm gifted this way. I'm called this way. I've put myself together this way. What can the church do for, for my platform, for my thing? What can God do? And it's like, no, we ought to come into the place and say, what can my thing do for the body of Christ? What can my thing, what can, what can all the blessings that God's put in me, what's all, all the stuff that I've been given and equipped with, what can that do for this? Amen? 
So most of the time, I've also noticed in Scripture, most of the time people use God's kingdom for their own glory, God removes them. Most of the time, I've seen people who use their ministry, their assignment, their gifting, all these big categories we put on all our structures. Most of the time, I've seen people use all that for themselves. God removes them from influence. I'm saying it like this. Whenever you sit down at the table and you go, what do I want to say yes to? And you filter it through, does this help me? Does this help me? Does this help me? Does that fit for me? Does that work for me? And you make all your decisions based on what you're going to gain in it. You're using the kingdom for your own glory. We love this. Oh, God, for your glory. But we actually make a lot of decisions based on, is this for me? Will this benefit me? Am I comfortable with this? Does this fit in my week schedule? Does this fit in my bank account? And we make all of these decisions for our own instead of for his glory. Amen? But he's over here in a wilderness place serving, and God says, you know what? That's holy ground. You're in a precious place. Why? Because he lived his life in a way that served and trust. Amen. I'll keep going in it. The servant place is a sacrifice place. Really, at the end of the day, the servant place is a place of sacrifice. It's saying, hey, I'm sacrificing my life. I'm sacrificing what I have and and, and all that I am and all that I've been giving. I'm laying this down in a place. I'm sacrificing it that I might serve somebody else. See, we think of serving as like, um, it's this like uh, punishment that you've been given. Like you're called to serve. But no, it really comes from a place of like, uh, if you were to go to a restaurant and somebody's excited to, hey, how can I serve you? How can I take care of you right now? How can I help you? How can I make sure your experience here and then when you leave is better? What if we came into this world as Christians and our philosophy and our ideas to the world were like, hey, how can I serve you? How can I make sure after our time together you leave better? Amen? And that takes sacrifice. A servant place is a sacrifice place. That's why Jesus said, you take up your cross and you follow me. The ultimate display of it all was Jesus putting the cross on his back, walking out this incredible life of sacrifice. Why? Because it's sacrifice that produces the promise. There's no shortcut to that. There's no structure we can build. There's no organization. There's no speech we can give. It's the model of a cross on your back, a life of sacrifice that produces the promised thing. (laughs) Amen. I know you guys are... Came here for this this morning, and uh, don't even worry. After this series, uh, our next series is called The Blessed Life, and I'll help you feel so much better, and it'll be so great. So uh, it's going to get better for, for all of us. Amen? Here's the truth. It would be easy for me to make a series that's like, your best life now, and, and, and oh, here's seven ways to da-da-da. But the world doesn't need that right now. God doesn't need that right now. What we need in this world is some people that are going to say, you know what? We're in a wilderness. And I don't like how that person talks about that person and that group spews that hate to that group. And I don't like any of this. But if I can live in this wilderness with a servant's heart, I believe God will do something in it. He'll make this a holy ground. So my passion is just for us to get to that place. Amen? I thought about it like this. 
giants fall when we sacrifice from a servant's place. Giants in our life fall when we sacrifice from a servant's place, a servant's heart's place. Uh, We saw that David defeated Goliath, not because he was the biggest, not because he was the strongest, not because he had the best structure, not because he had the most information. He defeated Goliath because he went from an obedient place of sacrifice down to the place. So literally think of the story. So the instruction is, hey, David, who's a servant, a shepherd boy, hey, uh, go down. Your brothers are down there. There's this battle. There's all this stuff. Will you go down there and bring them lunch? And the scripture says that he arose early and got there just in time as Goliath showed up. So a servant's place serves even in the tedious. I believe Goliaths are taken out, are defeated when we serve faithfully and sacrifice faithfully even in the tedious. Get up early, bring them some lunch. Really, God, this is all you call me to do? Just get up early? Oh, I got to go over there again and just serving kids, men. I just got to just play with Play-Doh and give them snacks, you know, read them a Bible verse. A servant's heart that says, you know what? God's called me to it. He's equipped me in it. I know he's going to use me in it. It led David to take down Goliath. Literally, a nation was spared because of practical obedience from a servant's heart. Arise early. And then when he gets there, David's there, or Goliath is there. Imagine if he was late. Imagine if he didn't prepare the lunch ahead of time. Imagine if he had to stop on the way. Imagine if this, what could he have missed? But he was faithful from a servant's heart to something tedious, and it took out Goliath. Amen. So this servant's heart is just such a big deal. It's this, my sacrificial lifestyle can bring about mega change. Uh, I thought about it, and I alluded to it already. Church has created this culture of what can I gain? David could be sitting here like, what am I going to get from this? Go up early, bring him a lunch. Like, I don't, this is not a big deal. I don't care about this. I can be late. And they evaluated it from like, what am I going to get? We do the same thing to church. What am I going to get from that? What, what's this going to do for me? That's why the scripture says it's better to give than receive. It's better to give than receive. Just the way God created it for us to live from a, from a wilderness place, from a place of serving, serving. God can make that place holy. Amen? People say to me, oh, I'm not being fed. I'm not being fed. We hear that in church all the time for years and years. I don't know if I was being fed. I don't know if I got that much out of it. You'd actually be surprised to know much of church is coming in to feed God, to give back to feed God. We come into worship to give back to God. We come back in with the tithe to return it to God. We come in to hear the words so that we can be inspired, so we can go out and return that lifestyle unto God. So he said, I don't know if I'm being fed. I don't know if I'm getting, I don't know if I'm getting enough out of it. It's not, it's not how God designed this thing to be. I thought about it like this. We come to church to see what I can acquire from it when our philosophy should be, I've come to church to see what I can accomplish with it. We come into the body of Christ. What can I get from it? What can I gain from it? What, what's in it for me? What can I, and our philosophy should be like, I wonder what could happen if I partnered with it. Amen. A servant's place. I'll close with this. There's this really interesting answer if you flip over another chapter to this story. Exodus chapter 4, verse 13. But Moses said, 
This was a response. They go through all of these excuses. Moses says, I don't talk well, and I don't this, and I don't that. And he gives them all of these excuses, and he banters with God. But then he says this in verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. And then the scripture says, for the first time, you'll see it in 14. For one of the few times in scripture you read that God was mad. In verse 14, it says, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Whoa. He gives an excuse that many of us give. Like, God, I know you want me to do that. God, I know you called me to this. God, I know you called me to that. But will you pardon me on this one? Can I just use my excuse here? You know, it's soccer and you know, it's this. And you got, will you just part? Can you pick somebody else? to go do this and accomplish this and meet the needs of the community. Can you pick somebody? Will you pardon me on this one? Because I got this or I'm not ready. Oh no, you're perfect. <laughs> Amen. We use the pardon card with God all the time. Pardon me this week. We got to get ready to go on vacation. Oh, pardon me, God. We can't serve that week either because we got to come back from vacation. Um, oh, pardon me. Um, you know, I've missed two already. I might as well miss the rest of the month. Um, and I'm being playful, but you know what I'm saying. We probably use the pardon me, God, a little too much. Pardon me in this season, we got this. Pardon me in this, pardon me in this. Will you pick somebody else? Will you send somebody else to do it? But you know that the devil doesn't say pardon me? Do you know that the demons aren't saying pardon me? Do you know that addiction isn't saying pardon me? Suicide's not saying pardon me? The kingdom of evil, the darkness in this world is not saying pardon me, give me a minute. I need a weekend. It goes on. Amen. So we need to do a little less, pardon me, and a little less, I don't understand. I'm in a wilderness, a little more, it's a wilderness. I don't understand it. I don't see it. I don't, you know, but I believe that God can make this holy ground and I'm not going to run from it. Amen. So the scripture tells us, all about how when we are blessed with something and we don't use it, how it destroys. God sent them manna from heaven. They collected it and held it and it didn't advance it and it turned to maggots on them. Why? Because everything God has given us is for us to use it. Not for us to say, hey, pardon me a minute. I want to hold on to this for a second. I need a season. I need a, amen. God's answer to everything is you. God's answer to everything is you. Uh, I thought about it like this. I can't remember who said this, but I, I remember it. Usually what you want to see is what you are called to give. Well, I wish they would this. I wish it would be like this. I wish it would be like this. You're perfect. Go do that. Amen. Usually what God has given you the eyes to see, to go make a difference, to go. Usually that's like a clue to your assignment. Well, I think this. Well, I think this. Awesome. You're perfect. Go do it. Amen. The scripture says when God showed up to Moses, he said, he said, I heard your pain. I heard the pain in the torture of the generation of that generation. He said, I heard the pain. I've seen the torture. I've seen the anguish and I'm choosing you. In your wilderness, when it's all not all put together, he could say the same thing about our world. I've heard the pain. I've seen the cries. I, I know. And I'm choosing you. 
Let's go do it. Don't ask for a pardon. Let's get out there and do it. Amen? The question I think we need to ask ourselves is what you're living for worth Jesus dying for? All that God did, all that he's provided, all the open doors that he's equipped us in is the structure and the strategy and the positions that we've put our life is all of that worth all that Jesus gave? Or is there more? Is there more we can believe for? Is there more of a comfort zone we can step out of? Amen? We love this. The best part about it is that God isn't looking for ability. He's looking for availability. God's standard is always like, hey, I know that they said you couldn't, but why don't you come do it with me? Hey, I know that they would say this about you and that about you and talk this way about you but won't you come try it with me? Won't you come follow me? Because if you're not ready, you're perfect because you're never going to be. Let's just go do this. Amen. Bill Johnson, <coughs> excuse me, gives this incredible quote. Which should frustrate the heck out of you. So I was mowing the lawn and I heard this. I literally was like, shoot, that's terrible. <laughs> it says this, God expects the impossible out of us. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> God expects the impossible out of you. He actually said, um, just so you know, I'm gonna leave and then you're gonna do greater things than me. And those things are raise the dead heal the sick, pray for the, what? His expectation of us is the impossible. And we get really small slivers of what should be pretty easy to do. I don't have time. It's been a busy week. It's not my comfort zone. It doesn't come natural. God's like, what do you, I expect the impossible of you. And you don't want to go over there and pray for that person? You don't want to take the time to listen to that person? I'm glad God's attitude is a lot more gracious than that. <laughs> Amen. But think about that. When, 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 and think about it like this. If your kids ever use something improperly, it, it frustrates you, like to its not fullest capability. So anything with the kids, you know, they got something, they're doing it, and they're using it way wrong. And you come in as the parent, you're like, no, 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 no. It's, it's so much better if you use it like this. This is how you do it. I've told you before, I hate getting the kids dressed, right? Uh, and so it's like, oh, no, no, don't try to put it on like that. Put it on like this, right? Like you just, you just, you, so I just wonder if God looks down at us and he's just like, oh, all that I've given you, all that I've provided for you, all of this, like it, you can do, like there's so much more. It'd be like never taking a car out of first gear or something. God's like, no, I've equipped you with that. You got a Ford, not a Dodge. Like you can do better. <laughs> you can do better. <laughs> I love playing with my guy, Seabird over here. He's a Dodge guy. And everybody is sinful and falling short of the glory. And <laughs> scales need to come off their eyes. But I just wonder if that's it with God. We're over here like, I don't think I can do it. I'm out of my comfort zone. I don't know if da-da-da-da. And God's like, oh, are you serious? Like, it's first gear, first, first gear. Actually, he didn't even start the car yet. 
I got, there's a fast lane for you, the impossible, the miraculous, the supernatural. I got all of this. Let's just trust him, whether it be a wilderness or a holier ground or whatever. God is for you. Who can be against you? Amen.